there and welcome to another instalment of Great Talks, presented by the Melbourne Recital Centre. I'm Graham Abbott. The next concert in the Great Performers series will take place in the Elizabeth Murdoch Hall on Wednesday the 7th of July at 7.30pm. The focus of this program will be the music of Franz Schubert, performed by two wonderful Australian musicians, baritone David Greco with Erin Helliard at the Forte Piano. David Greco has established himself as one of Australia's leading baritones. He's best known as a specialist in early music and historically informed performance practice, with a particular emphasis in recent years on Schubert and J.S. Bach. His recent recordings of music by both composers, most notably his Schubert song cycles with Aaron Helliard, have been highly praised and enthusiastically reviewed. David's experience covers an enormous range of repertoire, though, including opera performances in Europe and Australia, an extensive list of engagements with period and modern instrument orchestras, and regular appearances as a recitalist. Aaron Helliard's career seamlessly combines his internationally acclaimed skills as harpsichordist and forte pianist, conductor, and scholar. His recent performances with Pinchgut Opera in Sydney have revealed hitherto hidden treasures of the repertoire, and he's worked with both period and modern instrument orchestras around Australia. While the modern grand piano is usually used for recitals of Schubert songs, many keyboard players like to use a forte piano to bring us closer to the sound the composer would have known. The modern grand piano didn't really come into being until the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The generic term forte piano is used today as a means of describing the lighter, smaller pianos, which would have been known to Mozart, Beethoven, Schubert and other composers in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. These are still pianos rather than harpsichords. The strings are struck by hammers rather than plucked by quills, and volume can still be controlled by changing the pressure on the keys. But the mechanism is lighter and the tone gentler than a modern grand. Aaron will be playing a forte piano built in the early Viennese style, which uses lightly leathered hammers, resulting in a transparent, delicate tone. They make particularly efficient dampening of the strings possible, giving a clean cut-off when required, which Aaron feels is particularly suited to the sound of the German language. There's no doubting that in the form of music known as Lieder, German language art song, the name of Franz Schubert reigns supreme. In his tragically short life, he was only 31 when he died, Schubert wrote more than 600 songs, and while many subsequent composers have excelled in this form of musical creativity, the songs of Schubert are always held to be the most perfect models of the form. Among Schubert's hundreds of songs are three song cycles. A song cycle is a collection of songs around a single theme, or which may even, when taken together, tell a story or take the listener on a journey. Schubert's first song cycle appeared in 1824, a gigantic work containing no less than 20 songs called Die Schöne Müllerin. This can be translated as The Fair Maid of the Mill, or more simply, The Beautiful Mill Maid. The poetry is by the also tragically short-lived Wilhelm Müller, whose surname ironically means Miller. 
From his 26 poems telling the story of a young man in love with the beautiful Miller's daughter, Schubert selected 20 upon which he lavished the most amazing sensitivity and skill. The cycle takes over an hour to perform, and in the hands of a sensitive pair of artists, as it most assuredly will be in this concert, these songs will take you on a powerful emotional journey. At the end of this podcast, I'll share part of a conversation I had with David Greco, in which he shared some thoughts on Schubert, Lieder singing, and Die Schöne Müllerin. Before that, though, a brief summary of the songs themselves. The cycle's story starts with the first song, Das Wandern, Wandering. On the surface, this describes the delight of wandering, which our young Miller yearns for, to see the world and seek his destiny. The imagery is from the mill itself, the water, the wheel, the stones, and across the five stanzas, Schubert's deceptively simple-sounding music serves to illustrate so much. The protagonist is a young man, a miller, full of hopes and perhaps even dreams. In the second song, Wohin, Where, he follows a small brook. The wateriness of Schubert's piano writing is obvious, but the voice line is a development of that of the first song. The young wanderer is on his way, but as the title of the song says, to where? Interestingly and forebodingly, the brook is leading him in a downwards direction. Already, despite the major key and apparent happiness of the words, Schubert's setting makes us feel a shadow is starting to fall over our young miller's life. Suddenly, the brook leads him to a mill, the sight of which makes him stop in his tracks and wonder if this is where his destiny may be found. He certainly stops, which is what the title of the song says, Halt. The heroic nature of some of the voice writing in the third song is in stark contrast to the gentler melodies of the first two. Even if our young man isn't aware that he's about to encounter something vital and life-changing, Schubert makes sure we know it. The man asks the brook in the third song, is this what you meant for me? In the fourth song, he thanks the brook for bringing him to this site, which we know now includes not only the mill, but a woman. But there's doubt. Is this her doing, or has the brook conspired to bring them together? Schubert shows us this in a brief passage passing through the minor key, but he yields to fate, whatever that might mean for him. The fifth song is called Am Feierabend, After Work. This is the only song in the cycle in which the singer describes not only his own perspective, but also that of the mill owner, the girl with whom he is rapidly becoming obsessed, and others who work in the mill. Work has ended and the young man is not only exhausted, but frustrated. The whirring accompaniment suggests the mills, the stream, and the incessant thoughts in the young man's mind. He's feeling isolated, not part of the inner circle which includes the beautiful girl. The sixth song is Der Neugierige. Translated as the curious one in English, the German word implies something stronger than curiosity or inquisitiveness. The young man is now obsessed with the girl and realises that the flowers and the stars will not be able to tell him what he wants to know. He asks the brook. Does she love me? Schubert's setting is a mixture of song and recitative, showing in musical terms the instability of the man's emotional state. 
In pianist Graham Johnson's words, Schubert never said any words with greater skill. At this point in Müller's original sequence comes a poem which Schubert chose not to set. This was probably because it gives us quite a bit of detailed information about the mill girl's daily life. In omitting it, Schubert makes her more mysterious, and thus ingeniously adds to her mystical power over the man. We wonder what it is about her which has made this young man start to lose his grip on reality. In the seventh song in the cycle, called Ungeduld, Impatience, we have the first expression of his independence from the brook, which has in one way or another been a part of every song up to this point. He speaks in almost manic tones of his devotion to the girl, using the imagery of dry land, trees, pebbles, birds, flowers and the like. Finally, it seems he plucks up courage to actually speak to her. Or does he? The eighth song is Morgengruß, Morning Greeting, and it's one of many in which the poem and the music conspire to make us wonder if his polite greeting to the girl is reality, or whether it's only a fantasy taking place within his fevered mind. In Des Müller's Blumen, The Miller's Flowers, the man continues to express his obsession for the girl. The poem speaks of planting flowers and of total devotion. He's fallen into a well of emotion which is dangerously deep. Then in the tenth song comes a moment of true dramatic development, although it is subtly and gently expressed in Schubert's music. In the previous two songs, the young man has admired the millmaid from beneath her window. Perhaps in fact, perhaps in fantasy, we're not quite sure. Now, in Tränenregen, Rain of Tears, the two actually meet, sitting together on the riverbank. But the moment where all might be resolved for the man actually turns into a deeper nightmare. Nothing is said. He only sees her in her reflection in the water and doesn't look at her directly, much less say anything. As Graham Johnson says in his marvellous commentary on the cycle, if ever there was an instance of someone being in love with the idea of love more than the object itself, this is it. In the final stanza, the man realises he's missed his chance. The girl, clearly made very uncomfortable by his silence, simply says it's about to rain and that she's going home, and with that, the song ends in the minor key. Between that song and the next, simply entitled Mine, something clearly has happened, because in the eleventh song, the man joyously proclaims that the girl is his. Perhaps she's said a kind word to this moody character who hangs around the mill like a sad puppy. Perhaps she's done nothing at all, and he imagines she really loves him, despite the evidence to the contrary. Whatever has happened, this song shows a dangerous extreme in the young man's emotional state. The girl almost certainly is not his, yet he can still proclaim their unity in his imagination with such boldness. The twelfth song is called Pause, which literally means pause in English, suggesting rest or even silence. The young miller sings of his lute, which he hangs on the wall, unable to express himself in song. The irony of expressing such sentiments in a song is not lost on Schubert. The piano and the voice seem to have different personalities for much of this song. The view into the boy's inner world is at once illuminating and disturbing. 
At this point in the performance, David Greco will himself take a small pause, while Erin Helliard plays one of Schubert's beautiful musical moments, the second of a set of six pieces written in his final years and published in 1828, the year of his death. While this might seem unusual, the performers are simply continuing a well-established 19th century tradition. It's known that this was done in the earliest performances of the cycle, and even in their recording, David and Aaron interpolate one of Schubert's impromptus. The great, some would say the greatest, 19th century pianist, Clara Schumann, perhaps went further than most. She played Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata at this point in Die Schöne Müllerin. The young man's lute is hung on the wall, and it is in the 13th song seen by the girl who for some reason comes to visit him. She comments on the green ribbon and says that she loves that colour. It's clear from the lightness of Schubert's accompaniment that she has no deep feelings for him. But the man's words show how obsessed he is with her. He remembers every nuance of her voice, every word, every movement. The young man has been so lost in his own fantasies and desires that the revelation of the next song strikes him like a thunderbolt. There is already a man in the girl's life. In the 14th song, Der Jäger, The Hunter, the man huffs and pants hollow bravado about the huntsman who comes to the mill and who is clearly a person of importance to the girl. The song is violent and short, but the emotional impact is devastating. For the final six songs in the cycle, the brook returns to dominate the imagery and the story. The 15th song is called Eifersucht und Stolz, Jealousy and Pride. The young man tells the brook not to chase after the huntsman, but to turn back and reproach the wanton and shameless girl. The brook's rippling is evident in the piano part, but the energy is angry, not benign. The man, for his part, is shattered. His fantasies have collapsed around him. The 16th song is Der Liebe Farbe, the beloved colour. Focusing on the girl's love for the colour green, he wallows in a world of green imagery and for the first time speaks of hunting his own death. Obsession is reflected in the piano part, where Schubert has the note F-sharp played no less than 532 times across the three stanzas. In the subtlest and most pervasive of manners, we have before us the actual sound of madness. After the beloved colour comes die böse Farbe, the evil or loathsome colour. The young man's emotions are now totally out of control. In this song, he wants to rip every bit of green out of the world, to remove every trace of the girl's favourite colour. The minor key was used in the previous song about the beloved colour. Now the major key is used to voice his wild posturing about the hated colour. The song drips with sarcasm and loathing. After the fluidity of the song about hated colour, the 18th song seems static and lifeless. Called Trockne Blumen, Withered Flowers, this song sees the man allowing himself one last fantasy before taking his final fateful step. The fantasy allows him to imagine the flowers on his grave and the reactions of all, especially the girl, to his death. 
The reference to spring in the second half of the poem leads Schubert to change to the major key and to write music which seems in a trance. There's little differentiation between fantasy and reality in the deluded man's mind by this stage. The bravura is hollow, but the desire for death is very real. The second last song is called Der Müller und der Bach, The Miller and the Brook. It's a dialogue between the young man and the brook, which now seems to have become his only friend. What is fascinating is that in performance, the same singer, of course, sings both the man's words and those of the brook, reinforcing the notion that he's hearing the conversation in his head. He expresses, in the minor key, despair, and the brook, in the major key, with a more flowing accompaniment, encourages him to struggle free of his sorrow. At the end, his emotions merge with the brook's music as he sees in the depths of the brook the rest he craves. The tragic young man's descent into the water to take his own life by drowning is ever so subtly suggested in the piano postlude at the end of that song. The little arpeggio patterns descend into the bass for a single bar, and he's gone. The final song, Des Baches Wiegenlied is the brook's lullaby to the young man as he's released from his torment. On the surface, the song could not be simpler, a five-stanza poem in which the brook lulls the man to sleep, taking him away from the mill, the girl and the hunter. The mood is mesmerising, a perfect end to this tragic story. In preparing this podcast, I managed to track down David Greco while he was caught in traffic, and he kindly agreed to chat with me about this concert, hands-free, of course. I started by asking him about the way Schubert's music came to play such an important role in his career and repertoire. Well, I mean, I guess this part in Schubert, for any singer that's gone through a conservatorium education, is always going to be... Um, nostalgic if for want of a better word because that's kind of your bread and butter when you're learning you know when especially you're a younger singer because Schubert has such a wonderful array of technical demands and so uh, they're, they're equally rewarding for beginners but also very mature artists as you can see in you know the, the, the much bigger works like Schoenemüller and, and, and Schoenemüller, etc. I guess Schubert became an increasingly important composer for me primarily linked to my because of my PhD I was on the performance practice of early romantic music and because my repertoire just in, in my profession t tends to gravitate more towards the oratorio and the concert platform rather than the opera, not to say I don't do opera, but it, that's just where my career has taken me. Mm. It made more sense for me to investigate middle and northern European uh, music from the early 19th century up rather than, say, Bellini and Donizetti. And also because, I mean, Schubert in many, many ways is writing in exactly the same style as, as Bellini. It's, it's Belcanto German music. Um, and it, and also, let's not forget that, you know, Vienna was steeped in, in an you know, extremely Italianate tradition, mm. um, uh, except just with German text. But Schubert strikes me as one of those composers, particularly in Lieder, for a Lieder mm. singer, that it's an it's a it's a bottomless pit of discovery. I mean, the texts and the music are so perfectly wed that yes. you must be able to find something new every time you do it. Absolutely, and I think I think that's what keeps 
I mean, the, the, the language is, it's one of the first times in history, that I think is what's so revolutionary about Lieder itself, German art song, is that for the first time, I think in music history, music is being put to truly high-class poetry mm-hmm. uh, in terms of art song, that is. And you don't have that in Italy, and you don't really have that in France. Yeah, there's so much to explore in Schubert. I think there's a reason also why, you know, the... These great archetypal leader singers, Herman Parais, Schwarzkopf, Fischer Discal, enjoyed singing this music mm. till the very end of their days. You know, otherwise there must have been something in this for them to, to bother. And also for the pianists. I mean, Gerald yeah. Moore, Jeffrey Parsons, all those people, they made, yeah. they, they kept coming back to it time and time again. It's, it's an equal partnership, isn't it? Absolutely, it very, it very much is, and I, I think this kind of the, the day of the accompanist is somewhat over. It's now, you know, very much an equal platform, yeah. and especially when, especially when the accompaniments, for want of a better word, the piano parts are so rich, mm. you know. They're as technically difficult as a lot of the songs. Uh, not always, but often. Let's let's talk briefly then, just to finish uh, about Schöne Müllerin. Uh, are there yeah. particular songs in that cycle? I mean, this is a terrible question to say. It's like asking what's your favorite mm. child. But uh, oh, yeah. um, are there songs that particularly stand out for you in the amongst absolutely. those twenty? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I would say, for I would say the last two are very, very special to me um, because. <laughs> Some may say they're the least interesting, especially the last one. The last one has five verses, mm. and it's the Despachers eagerly. It's the, it's the Brooks lullaby. And, uh, you know, and, and it's a very, very simple accompaniment. It's a very simple little ditty, but it's so profound. Um, it's so profound what the text is about. Absolutely. Uh, really, you yeah. know, I mean, whereas a lot of people, I think, would choose the more exciting songs like Neugeriga or... Um, you know, Eichenstolz uh, or Trockler Blumen as being the really exciting things. But for me, it's the it's the gentleness and the subtlety and the the really kind of um, bittersweet tragedy on the simplicity of which Schubert set the last two songs, which are very moving for both me and actually Aaron agrees. Aaron finds it really, really. Mm. Very moving, the last two songs. I think I think the simplicity, for want of a better word, of the last song adds to the horror of it. it, absolutely, it absolutely the brook does. the brook has taken over and the brook has said, gotcha, almost. Well, you know, Graham, this is this great thing about Schubert, actually. I wanted to say this. This is the great thing about Schubert that is very unique to him in comparison to many other composers. In every bit of Schubert leader, no matter how seemingly superficially light or or effervescent the text mm-hmm. is there's always an element of horror yeah. in every single Schubert song mm-hmm. every Schubert song Die Forella for example <laughs> you know, perfect example yeah. um, so, and I, I think uh, absolutely as you say this is what's what's really stunning about these last two songs is on the surface they're, they're, they're bittersweet and lovely but actually they're, they're, they're so tragic that was baritone David Greco speaking to me about Schubert, Lieder, and Die Schöne Müllerin. David, with forte pianist Erin Helliard, will perform Die Schöne Müllerin in the next Great Performers Series concert at the Melbourne Recital Centre. It'll take place in the Elizabeth Murdoch Hall on Wednesday the 7th of July at 7.30pm. You can find out more and book tickets online at melbournerecital.com.au. 
it will most definitely be a special event. My name's Graham Abbott and I look forward to sharing more musical stories with you soon.